What's going on, everybody? That's him again. The All Sooners Podcast, episode 152, on this Thursday, October 20th, 2022, bi-week edition. Josh Calloway in Houston, Texas. John Hoover in Tulsa. Ryan Chapman will be with us later on in the show. Talk about some other sports. For just for the first couple segments, it'll be just me and who. Who? How is your bye week treating you? Bro, I'm almost caught up on all my sleep. <laughs> the not having to go to Norman, especially yeah. for you, has got to be amazing. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a vaca- It's like a vacation week. I mean, I'm working at home every day. I've still got the radio right. show nine to eleven every day on the Sports Animal, but. Yeah, not being in Norman, getting to sleep in my own bed every night. It's uh, it's it's literally like a vacation week in the middle of the season. Absolutely, I think uh, we 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 joked about it, you know, at the stadium on on last Saturday after the Kansas game. Everybody kind of needs the buy, even fans. Everybody needs just that me- that one weekend that it's just don't have to sweat your team losing. We don't have to cover a game, players don't have to play a game. Everybody just kind of needs at least one little gap, and that's this weekend. Of course, I'm still traveling. Like I mentioned, came down to Houston. Uh, everybody who watches the shows knows I'm, I'm a Yankees fan. Some people really don't like that I'm a Yankees fan, but that's <laughs> the way it is. Down here in Houston uh, for ALCS, went to game one last night, going to game two tonight. That's why we're doing the show today because I was in transit yesterday. So I uh, appreciate Hoover and Ryan accommodating me, letting me come down here, doing the show today. And uh, we'll see if the Yankees get back on track tonight for a tough loss last night. So uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, enjoy the bye week. Yeah, definitely. Looking forward to this weekend. Um, get to actually watch some football. Yeah. It'll be different. It'll be Saturday, different. Uh, my plan and my wife and daughter and son probably don't know this and they would rail against it if they knew it. My plan is to sit Al Bundy style <laughs> in the on the couch with the remote in hand going from game to game for about 15 hours. That's yeah, my uh-huh. idea of a Saturday off. I can't wait. Um, yeah. They may have something to say about that depending on what they're viewing uh, schedule requires, but yeah, man, I can't wait. Sure. No, I'm looking forward to it. There's some big games in the Big 12 this weekend, too, that are juicy, yep. and uh, we'll talk about those in the next segment, but we will start, as we always do, we'll put the finishing touches on the Kansas game. Um, feels even longer ago because we waited just the one extra day, but it it feels like forever ago, that game, but we'll go ahead and put some, those, um, you know, some finishing touches on it, polish that thing off, um, especially since we don't have another game to talk about anyway. Final thoughts in that game, getting a chance to go back and, and look at some highlights, maybe re-examine the box score a little bit, let it wash over you some more, see some national reaction um, from, from what Oklahoma did. I mean, personally, I honestly, having peeled away from it and got to watch it back a little bit and everything, I think I actually have a higher opinion of what Dylan Gabriel did than I maybe gave him credit for in the postgame show. I mean, not that we didn't all say he played great and all that. We did, obviously. He made a massive difference on the offense from from Davis Bevel the week prior, but you know it really shouldn't be overlooked that Dylan Gabriel missed a game with a concussion and came back after missing one week and threw for 400 yards. He was named Big 12 Newcomer of the Week. That offense looked completely different with him. You know he, he's kind of taken a little bit of uh, of an unfair rap. He's missed some throws. We've talked about that. He's missed a lot of. He's missed his fair share, but he's a pretty good quarterback. And I, I think. Oklahoma fans should be a little, maybe, and, and uh, we're guilty of it too, maybe a little more of uh, giving him more credit than maybe because without him, this team is not going to, we talked about it, would, would be very bad. So I, I think I have a little more appreciation for what Gabriel did, especially coming right off an injury to come right in and do that um, on Saturday against the Jayhawks. Yeah, think about it. He went 29 of 42 
for 403 yards passing. It was his right. fifth, fifth career 400-yard game, but his first at OU. Uh, by far his best game. And this is against a Kansas defense that was, you know, what were they, 101st or 97th or something like that in pass defense. Not very good pass defense. But coming off the concussion, uh, you're, you're coming off of a couple of bad games, right, where he missed guys, missed receivers, missed open receivers. He came in there with kind of a renewed kind of uh, approach and, and, and perspective on what his role is. Um, they asked him to be more than a distributor in this game. I thought he fulfilled that role. I thought, you know, as many, you throw it 43 times, 42 times, whatever it was, 403 yards. You're suddenly you're elevating your role from a point guard to kind of a scoring guard, a shooting guard. You know what I mean? You're, you're involved in the game plan. You're heavily involved. And I thought he was much more than he had been. And again, coming off that concussion, coming off an, a week where he didn't really practice full speed, uh, coming off a week where he sat on the sidelines against Texas and worked his way back slowly into the lineup. Yeah, yeah very impressive. Absolutely. You know, and I, I've been a little surprised, too, because, you know, whenever we do the postgame show, um, you know, we, we the game ends. We go get postgame with Brenton players. We come back. We do our work. You know, I, I put up the videos. I put up a highlights package. We shoot our wrap. We really don't have time uh, to see what people are saying, what fans are really saying, all that stuff. So we go into the postgame show completely, you know, laying out just how our view of how the game went. It's not influenced by anything because we just haven't even had a chance to see anything yet. And I've been a little surprised, and it hasn't been a ton of this, but there's been a little bit of almost a kind of a poo-pooing the win a little bit, like it was a little closer comfort. And I'm a little surprised by that because Kansas is pretty good. I, I don't know if it's because Jalen Daniels was out, but as we talked about, Jason Bean is pretty talented, one of the better backups in the country. I, I got asked that. I did a radio spot this week, and I was asked, like, is it uh, was that like a good win for Oklahoma? And I was like, well, first of all, any win is a good win right now. But yeah, I mean, ten point win against a ranked team at home, and that I know it's Kansas, but as we've well documented, it's, this is a lot better Kansas than normal. I think it was a pretty good win for Oklahoma. I'm, I was a little surprised that that's been a little bit of a conversation. Uh, point. Yeah, that's an odd narrative because Oklahoma reeling forty nine nothing, fifty five twenty one. You know what? What's what, what more do you want than being up by 21 points in the fourth quarter uh, against a team that the previous week, going into the previous week, was 5-0 and and, and is currently ranked number 19 in the country? I mean, that is a great win for Oklahoma. So, yeah, I don't, I don't find – I don't get that narrative at all. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. So, Oklahoma got that big win uh, that they really needed. Now they're enjoying the bye week. Um, so, we're in the midst of it. We thought we were going to get probably Brent Venables, maybe players this week. That never happened. So, we're – kind of floating as far as knowing what the team is doing exactly, but who very smartly did talk to Brent back before the Kansas game to ask about what the bye week schedule is going to look like. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong. He said they were only going to practice like full pads once, right? So for the most part, they're kind of taking more of the approach of letting these guys have some time off in the bye week. Um, you know, uh, probably going to give them the weekend, I assume, things like that. I think that's probably a good move personally. If anything, just mentally, um, the season's probably pretty hard on a lot of these guys. That losing streak and everything to get back in the wind column and get to enjoy that a little bit and just have a chance to kind of decompress and get away from football, I think is probably a good thing for a lot of these guys. Is that is that kind of how you see too? Obviously the physical part of it too. I mean, we talked about it before that Brent was saying they look like a tired team, all that kind of yeah. thing. I mean, that that's obvious. But I think generally speaking, practicing a little less while maybe doesn't always seem totally in Brent's nature, 
I think it's probably a, a, a wise move. Yeah, the the way he – I had to follow him to the elevator, um, and he gave me a hard time. He's like, why didn't you ask this question already? You know, one of those things. I'm like – Yeah, I had another one. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I got like six questions. I can't ask them all on the podium. But uh, uh, So I walked off with him to the elevator. Sometimes I used to ride the elevator down with Bob, walk him to his car, walk him to the front office of the door, you know, the front of, of the door to his office. Uh, if you got more questions, you just got to work a little harder. Um, and that's, that's, you know, coaches, coaches know that and we're civil enough to, to do these things. But I, I walked him to the elevator and I said, what's your schedule like for next week? And he said, we're going to have a light practice non-padded on Monday. Uh, we're going to go at it heavy on Tuesday uh, on, uh, no, take it back. Uh, light practice non-padded Monday. We're going to do some community service on Tuesday, Wednesday. We're going to come back and practice padded, heavy practice, uh, Thursday, light non-padded practice just some walk around type stuff, not even mm-hmm. a real, you know, get out there and get the blood flow and just kind of some touching some base, clean up a few things. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday off, no, anything, no contact. They're going home. They're having, having dinner with their family, whatever it is, no football. So I uh, expect them to come back on Sunday, uh, Sunday night. And then when Monday practice starts, they'll be totally refreshed. And remember now, those were his words at the cotton bowl. When he, no, nobody asked him, Brent, is this team tired? Can you, yeah. can you make some excuses for why this team would be playing so bad? Could it be that they're tired? That never happened. Brent was in the middle of a- answering some question, and he said, finally, I think we're a tired football team. That's what I'm seeing out there. So he offered that up of, of his own volition. And um, now they're kind of taking a they, – they probably could have used a, an open date last week going into Kansas, but actually the way it worked out, looking back on it, hindsight's twenty twenty. But I think that was actually perfect. Bounce back after 49 nothing with a home win over Kansas. Then you get a week off. Then you've got a stretch of five games in a row. Yeah, no, I, I think that, you know, that, that's a pretty good approach. Uh, like I said, um, in the, you know, especially giving the guys the weekend, you know, you, you know, burnout's a real thing. We talked about that you know, before, you know, so I, I think that's probably a wise move. Get these guys rested up, get a chance to just mentally, like I said, decompress a little bit um, after playing seven weeks in a row and get ready for the home stretch here, which is a challenging home stretch um, because obviously your home games are Baylor, who maybe I mean not maybe they're not as good as I think we all thought. You know, you know they've they've really struggled. That loss West Virginia was was really tough, especially defensively. You don't expect Dave Rand defense to get touched up like that. Oklahoma State looks like probably the at least the second best team in the conference, maybe third, depending on Texas this weekend. We'll talk about that in a minute. But those are your two home games and your road games. While not against the best teams, are all on the road. And places that I've been fortunate enough to have been before, I know Hoover certainly has as well, those are tough places to play. Ames, Morgantown, and Lubbock, those places are hard to play. And, you know, they're going to be later in the year, probably cold weather. None of these are gimmies. And we talked about that in the postgame show. All five of these games left are totally winnable, but they're all absolutely losable too. There's not one on there that is a for sure win or a for sure loss. So I guess the question moving forward is, how does Oklahoma win as many as possible? What, what's the key, I guess, to Oklahoma? What do they have to do um, to, to make sure that they try to get as many wins as they can here, get to as good of a bowl as possible, and finish this season with some momentum? Uh, and what is a difficult – it's a difficult final five games. It is. Yeah, it is. And you make a good point that what looks like, at least on paper, what should be the three easiest games uh, right. are they're, – they're all tricky. They're all, are all three tricky games, and they're all on the road. Um, when you play in Lubbock, it's, it can get tricky. When you play in Morgantown, it can get uh, things can get slippery over there, and you might 
you might slip up and stumble. Uh, and then Ames, we all know, is can be a house of horrors. Um, it's less so on Saturdays than it is on, say, a Thursday night or a Friday night. So at least they got that going for them because this game, remember, was originally scheduled for, what, a Thursday night. So That's right. Yeah, this I is that game. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, given, given that, given your home games – uh, are against better competition, what, what we're perceiving to be better competition, and your your road games are against more winnable competition, but it can can also be in more trickier places. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it's going to shape up. I really don't. Um, like you said, all five of them winnable, all five of them losable. Hundred percent, hundred percent, and it uh, it makes it entertaining uh, certainly for us <laughs> going week to weeks because we uh, we're going to go in every single game. Ready to see a competitive football game. I think a lot of these are going to be competitive. Um, in fact, probably all of them. So we're excited to see how this shakes out. Um, like we said, Ames next weekend. This was supposed to be the Thursday game. I kind of forgot about that um, way back when. Because um, it was right off the bye. So that makes – I remember it was like, we're going to have two – everything we said earlier about the Saturday being open, I was like, we're going to have two of those in a row. No. They moved it back to Saturday. Got off that Thursday slot. Um yeah, going to be interesting down there in Ames. It is an 11 a.m. kick. Found that out the other day. So it'll be bright and early in Ames, Iowa. That's five out of six 11 a.m.s um, for Oklahoma. So they're getting the full 11 a.m. treatment right now. Uh, it's good for business. It, it, it's not bad. It's not bad because, you know, not that I'm against doing a podcast at 3 a.m. and, and <laughs> posting highlights and videos, but if we can do it at more like 5, 6 in the evening, that's uh, – yeah. A lot better for everybody, I think. So uh, definitely, I, I don't hate it. Getting up, I hate it in the moment that I have to get out of bed. Yes. Once I'm up, it's better. It's absolutely better. So we'll uh, hit that next weekend in Ames. We'll have to be heading up on Friday, obviously. So we'll uh, head out down there and get ready for Oklahoma and Iowa State. But, uh, of course, we're back Wednesday to preview that game in full uh, on next week's show. All right, we'll take a time out here. We'll come back. We'll talk about what Brett Yormark had to say, Big 12 commish about OU in Texas. Still sounded like this. they may be here for a little while longer. We'll also talk about the, those big Big 12 games that I mentioned earlier, and we'll touch on some Sooners and the NFL updates as well. Next up right here on the All Sooners Podcast. All right, you guys have heard me talk about this before. I'll talk about it again. Our friends at Trade Pros developed the All-Star Service Program for homeowners and business owners that demand the absolute best from their HVAC systems. Sign up now for the All-Star Service Agreement, 25 bucks a month, and the guys at Trade Pros are going to come out two times a year for routine maintenance. Plus, you get two pounds of Freon every year at no charge. And get this, if your heating or air unit needs work, it's not going to cost you anything if the repair is under $500. If it's more than $500, your cost comes in at just 25% of the Trade Pros price. Routine maintenance includes changing and cleaning the air filters, carbon monoxide check, thermostat check, safety switches, inspect pilot assembly, check fan motor, refrigerant check charge, all kinds of stuff. Listen, just call Trade Pros, 405-639-9991, or check out their website, tradeprosokc.com. On Twitter, you can follow all Sooners at all underscore Sooners. Who's at John E. Hoover? Ryan will be with us in a moment. He's at underscore Ryan Chapman. I'm at Josh M. Calloway. Our website is allsooners.com. We are a Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. All right, segment two. That's some late 
breaking news uh, here as we get through this All Sooners podcast. It's Thursday afternoon here getting ready on the bye week. Oklahoma has announced a future series with San Diego State. They're going to play them three times in 2027, 2029, and 2031. 27 and 31 in Norman, 29 in San Diego. Of course, this is Oklahoma needs to fill in games because a lot of their SEC opponents that they were going to play, they can't play them anymore, and the non-conference is going to be in the same league as them. Joe Castiglione expressed that as much in the release. You can read about that on allcenters.com. But he said, you know, pretty pretty flatly, we need to fill in games because we lost a bunch of SEC matchups. San Diego State is doing that for us. So there you have it. Oklahoma's going to play San Diego State a few times, which is actually, I mean, there are very few group of five programs more consistently competitive than San Diego State in the last decade or so. So these, these are going to be entertaining games when we get there, assuming they can maintain. It's five years away. Yeah, yeah, it is five years away. 2027 is the first game, 2029 in out in San Diego. So uh, go ahead and make your plane reservations right now. Uh, 2031 back in Norman. So it's a two-for-one, and it's exactly what you would expect. Uh, Joe Stiglione wants to play a quality group of five school, right, a program like San Diego State, who's going to present you some kind of challenge, who's going to say, who's going to come in and, you know, you're not going to beat them 79 to nothing, right? You want one of those, but you don't want two of those. You want a team that's going to come in and, and test you a little bit. And I think San Diego State is the right uh, the right team to do that. You wrote in our story today, Josh, allsooners.com, they were 12-2 and two last year. They've won at least 10 games, five of the last seven seasons, and they've won, been to a bowl game 11 of the last 12 years. This right. is a really good group of five team. Um, maybe if you're not on your P's and Q's, maybe if you're not having a great season or your talent's down or your quarterback gets hurt or it's raining or windy or something crazy is happening with the elements, this is a team that can beat you. And I, I, I'm sure Oklahoma didn't think that when they scheduled them way back in the 90s. What was it, 90, uh, 96, John Blake's first season? Yeah, 95 State. and 96. They go out there. Uh, was Marshall Falk on that team? I, I can't remember exactly. 51-31 was the final score. And I remember people saying, this is the most disorganized Oklahoma football team we've ever seen. This is the worst <laughs> football team since the 60s. These were these were all right. pretty much facts uh, because the, the, you know, the next three years were not good for Oklahoma football. And San Diego State kind of almost kicked that off in a way. Yeah, something that kind of caught my eye too, and we're just going off. Obviously, we don't know, we don't know a single player that will be playing in these games or anything like that. But yeah. kind of interesting to me is that the, the game in San Diego – September 1st. So, I mean, that barring a week zero, that's going to be Perfect. the season opener is in yeah. San Diego that year. So, Perfect. It's going to be it's going to be kind of different, um, you know, the fact that Oklahoma doesn't open on the road very often, you know. So, to go to a G5 to start your season um, is kind of, you know, a little, a little different. So, going to be see how that goes. The first meeting is on September 18th. So, it'll be like week three. And then the first one, then the, the second one in Norman. September 6th, that sounds more like a potential opener as well. But, yeah, so they're going to open on the road in 2029. Like who said, book your flights, book your hotel. Um, probably can't book flights yet. If they have flights scheduled that far out, that's insane. I'm um, guessing not. If you book a hotel, it may, like, not even be there in 2029. That's diff- that's a different world. Who knows uh, who, what we're going on in 2029. But uh, make your plans. Make your plans. Why not? Uh, hit a Padres game. Make a weekend out of it up uh, there in in San Diego. Why not? So that's a, an interesting little thing that segues nicely into what big 12 commissioner Brett Yormark 
had to say at Big 12 Basketball Media. So we're going to talk about a lot more in the third segment with Ryan, but we'll talk about what Brett Yormark had to say now because he had some very interesting things about Oklahoma and Texas, which is always on the top of the on the tip of the tongue uh, for anything Big 12 related right now is Oklahoma and Texas. Basically made it sound like, and it continues to toe that line, we've never heard anything different really, that Oklahoma and Texas are going to honor their contract and stay in the league through 2025. Do you want to read the quote? I have it if you don't have it still pulled up. Yeah, I've got it right here. Um, They said Oklahoma and Texas, they committed themselves in advance of me getting here, meaning they said they were going to be here uh, through 2025 before I ever showed up. Uh, He said they've reiterated that commitment, okay, so they'll be here through the duration. He was also asked about his relationship with Oklahoma and Texas. He said it's, quote, very, very strong. Yeah, so it sounds like we have two more years of OU and Texas in the Big 12 after this one. Two years of the super Big 12, if you will, because uh, obviously those other four teams are coming in. And it's going to be interesting. You know, he also mentioned the whole, you know, we're going to be just fine without Texas and OU, which, like, what do you expect him to say? He's the commissioner of the Big 12, like that. People kind of get upset about that or kind of like, oh, whatever. And I completely agree that the Big 12 is going to take a big hit without OU and Texas. Well, look at the Look at the TV ratings from this last weekend. Yeah. It was staggering the the way that it was – I mean, look at the Bama-Tennessee versus OSU-TCU head-to-head. Lord, it was rough. So, I mean, OU and Texas leaving is is not going to be great. And they, OU, the Big 12 has had an impossible time this year getting on a national stage. This weekend, we're talking about just a minute, OSU and Texas are playing and TCU and Kansas State are playing. I think, I think I saw it today. Unbelievable. TCU-Kansas State is the first ranked matchup this year, ranked versus ranked, that's not on ESPN, Fox, or ABC. It's on FS1. They've had a really hard time getting a national stage this year. Um, so interesting comments from your remark, obviously, and we'll see if we get two years of the Super Big 12. Yeah, Josh, when you say what do you expect him to say, I kind of expect him to say what Bob Bowlesby said, which was, well, when Oklahoma and Texas leave, they're taking 50% of the value of our conference with them. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, very blunt. Yeah. So your marks a uh, little bit more um, sunshine, I guess, if you're a Big 12 fan. He says, I know the media has stated with the loss of Texas and Oklahoma, our numbers would go backwards. Let me say it very clearly we're not going backwards and we're not staying flat. We're going up. The question is, how far up? So yeah. that's quite a bit of difference from what. Uh, what uh, Bowlesby said last year, they're taking 50% of the value of our conference with them uh, to where we're going to be better without Oklahoma and Texas. I think, I think that's two extremes. And I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's, I'm looking forward to the super big 12. I think it'll be, it'll be, it'll be a weird time in all of our lives when we're all old, I'm old and gray. I'm talking to my grandkids. I'm going to be like, there was two years yeah. where we had the most jacked up conference of all time. <laughs> where OU and Texas were in the same league as BYU. And it, it's going to be, it's going to be weird. And I imagine like who said, has said before, I bet OU and Texas hits all four of those places in the two year span. Oh yeah. They will hit all four. Uh, guarantee. They're all going to get at least them, all of them Have once. To. Have to. That's uh, that's your flagship properties. That's the ones that people are going to sell out the stadium to, to bring in those teams and think about the fans outside tailgating. And here comes the team, and they're all doing the, the whatever it is, the horns down or the boomer, whatever, uh, with other fingers involved. I guess. Um, 
Yeah, the, the fan bases are going to want to see Oklahoma and Texas in their stadiums. And your mark said, everybody's going to play everybody for these two years. If you're smart, man, you're going to figure out a way to put Oklahoma and Texas in mm-hmm. your new stadiums, not Kansas State, not Waco, not Lubbock, in your new stadiums, Houston, BYU, Cincinnati, and UCF, at least once each over those two years. you gotta you got to bring them in. And I want those trips. I want to go to BYU. I want to go to we Cincinnati. I, I've eaten a lot of good food in Cincinnati. <laughs> Skyline Chili. We might get a, oh, uh, a Dylan Gabriel Italian return. Downtown is really good, yeah. We'll get a Dylan Gabriel return next year. Who knows? We Have don't know. Uh, that, yeah. was, that was something that um, I wanted to add is your mark said that a um, couple, of, couple of small things. He said that the Big 12 will remain divisionless yep. when the four teams come in. There was a lot of talk about East-West or whatever. I guess at least currently the plan is to just be a free-for-all, best two teams play for the Big 12 championship game, which that gets a lot harder when everybody's not playing everybody. So I'm interested to see how that shakes out. But the plan is to remain divisionless. And then the other part, um, which has now escaped me, I just had it up. Oh, that they're going to announce next year's schedule. They're planning to announce next year's schedule sometime in November or December at the latest. Yeah. So we should have a good idea of what next year will look like for us pretty soon. In about a month. Exactly. Look forward in about a month. He said late November, early December. So, yeah, in about a month from now, we should have a, a good layout of what that schedule looks like. Nine teams, nine nine conference games. Everybody's still playing. And uh, everybody's going to be doing that home and home thing. I I would love to be a fly on the wall when they're making out that schedule matrix. A mess, yeah. It's going to be. I mean, they actually the Big Twelve schedule makers have had it very easy for like a decade. Yeah, they know who put it. Now they got to really, really make some uh, some decisions and some moving parts uh, a little bit. One other little piece of news uh, on this same topic. Um, you can read about allcenters.com earlier in the week, but John Rothstein with CBS Sports reported that when the the basketball when the teams come in. Obviously, you're not going to be able to do home-and-homes with everybody anymore like you've been doing because there going to be too many teams. But he did say that – but Rothstein reported that Bedlam will still be played home-and-home home next year and the following year. Um, so Oklahoma will be playing in Stillwater. Oklahoma State will be coming to Norman. We know that much at least the next couple of years. So uh, no matter what happens, that will still be the case. Um, there's a lot to figure out with basketball too because, like I just was saying, but it did home-and-homes mm-hmm. with everybody. Nice and clean, nice, easy scheduling. Can't do that anymore. So kind of figure out how that is going to work is uh, a little tricky as well. Uh, it, it'll be weird to not see OU play Texas in Austin and in Norman. That's kind of just been a given, but that uh, that may not necessarily be the case. So we'll see how that looks. They will play Bedlam, though, Holman Road. So we'll see how that shakes out. Uh, we, also say that, we also said that Texas is going to play Texas Tech home and home each of the next yeah. two years. So they're yeah, trying Texas, to preserve Texas, some rivalries Yeah, as long as um, they can. I, th- I want to th- the weirdest one I think was like BYU and Iowa State or something. It was one that was like that that one's a little forced. <laughs> it was like not because it was Cincinnati and West Virginia, which made sense. You know, try to like give one. West Virginia a rival finally. Um force one upon them. But yeah, I think uh BYU that they're gonna have a, they're gonna have to work toward making can't really manufacture anything with them on the rivalry front. So we'll see how that uh, works out in due time. So um, taking on the topic of the Big 12, mentioned earlier, a couple of huge games this weekend. Um, Oklahoma State and Texas, which is always, I think, probably the, the hardest game for OU fans to watch. I'm always very interested. I love asking OU fans what they do with the OSU-Texas game. 
do you root for somebody? Do you, are you just hoping for both teams to embarrass themselves? I mean, what are you hoping for when OSU and Texas play? So that'll be interesting this weekend as well. That's, um, I believe, in Austin. And then TCU no, and that's Kansas in Stillwater. State. This is Stillwater. That's My in, mistake. That's in Stillwater. Yep, 2.30 p.m. Trying to get it pulled up. My hotel Wi-Fi. A little spotty. But the uh, TCU and Kansas State play this weekend as well, which is certainly very interesting. So two huge Big 12 games this weekend, um, in addition to Kansas playing Baylor and West Virginia and Texas Tech. Which of those two games, I guess, interests you more and what are you watching out for? As, as Oklahoma tries to maybe get back in the Big 12 race, you need a lot of things to happen, but um, it still could happen, maybe. I talk a lot of Oklahoma State football on my radio show every day, so I'm going to be very interested to watch uh, OSU-Texas. Uh, and I'll tell you this, sure. Josh, there aren't very many OU fans who are going to watch an OSU-Texas game and root for anybody, but the ones who do, 100% are going to root for Oklahoma State. They've got a family member went to Oklahoma State or their their, their wife or there's somebody in the family. You know what I mean? So uh, the best friends go to Oklahoma State, whatever. You want bragging rights, but at the same time, you don't want Texas coming into Oklahoma and kicking anybody's butt. So uh, it's a, it, at some point, it becomes a recruiting thing, too. If you if you can't if you're an OU fan and you're not rooting against Texas because Texas needs to fail on the field so they can fail in recruits recruiting. So those recruits can go to Oklahoma. You got to think these things through. So. Uh, you're not really competing that much with Oklahoma State for for that many recruits, a handful maybe here or there. But yeah, man, you don't. Uh, I don't think if you're an OU fan, you're ever, ever zero percent chance you're rooting for Texas in anything. <laughs> yeah, that's probably a safe bet. Um, always, uh, it, that's that's a very gross game visually too. Uh, that's a lot of orange <laughs> in your face. And uh, TCU and Kansas State is very similar. That's the Purple Bowl, and I'm very intrigued in that game because. First off, I don't really still feel like I know how good Kansas State actually is. Um, they came to Norman and, and, and whooped OU a little bit, but, I mean, obviously OU had a rough couple of games after that. Um, and Ken, you know, just how good is Kansas State really? I guess I'm still trying to figure that out. They had that just baffling loss at Tulane, and they yeah. picked it up. Are they legitimate Big 12 contenders or not? I think we'll find out a lot about this weekend. And the flip mm-hmm. side of that, if TCU wins – we're on undefeated season watch. I mean, the Big 12 is very deep. Uh, we've well documented that. Any game, really anybody can beat anybody. But the rest of their schedule, at West Virginia, Texas Tech at home, at Texas will be your toughest one. But then Baylor and Iowa State to end it. So, I mean, they already beat OU. They already beat Kansas. They already beat OSU. So, they've gotten through a few of the bigger hurdles. So, TCU, can they – is Sonny Dykes and Max Duggan, are like, are they really going to do this, I guess? And – this would be an obviously a natural hiccup on the schedule. So TCU wins this weekend. You got to vault them into the playoff conversation. All that uh, I think is officially, yeah. if they're not there already, I think totally if, if they beat Kansas State this weekend, you got to put them there. I think the Big Twelve is probably too deep for somebody to go undefeated. Where the the test is too probably. too stiff every week. You're facing somebody, somebody, somebody every week is lining up to fight you. So. I think it's too deep. We'll see. I do think that uh, T- TCU is the best team in the conference so far, which raises a question. I want to spin this back to Oklahoma. Uh, last week after 49 nothing, I ranked Oklahoma for the second week in a row. I ranked them in my Big Ten, uh, Big 12 power poll, top 10, uh, as number 10. I ranked them as the 10th best team. This week, after beating Kansas, I looked at it and I looked at it and I looked at it and I said, you know what? <laughs> Are they the fourth best team in the Big 12? 
you got to ask that question because who who have they lost to? They lost to the first best team. They lost to the second best team. Uh-huh. And they lost to uh, the, the fourth best. So I, I had them fifth um, because they haven't played Oklahoma State yet. So just think about that for a second. The teams that they've lost to, and then they beat a team that was previously undefeated uh, coming into the week in Kansas. So I just I, – I'm coming around to the idea that the rest of the schedule might be manageable because of who they've already played. They've played three of the four best teams that they're going to face all year. So sure. something to think about. I think I think sure. I said fourth. What I meant was fifth. I, I've got him ranked fifth in the Big Twelve this year, uh, this week. So, yeah, we'll see. Probably behind OSU, TCU, K State, and Texas. I presume. Correct. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, it's there's still a lot to be decided in the Big Twelve. It's it's very deep. It's very fun. Um, I agree with you though. I think that it's kind of the and it's kind of the shame of the current system we have, and part of the reason why the playoff is expanding is that the Big Twelve is going in a roundabout way, going to be punished in the long term for being deep. And a lot of good teams because, like you said, probably nobody's going to go undefeated. And whenever TCU inevitably loses a game and they're 11-1 or 12-1, Big 12 champ, that may not be good enough to get in, even though they, they've probably really have earned it at that point. So we'll, we'll see how it shakes out. So a lot of football to be played. Uh, it's a fun league this year. It, it, it really, really is. And excited to see those games this weekend. Get to sit and watch them. Orange Bowl and the Purple Bowl. Looking forward to that of this weekend in the Big 12, as well as that Kansas-Baylor game, too. Who knows what that, the heck that's, that thing's going to be, too. That's going to mm-hmm. be an game as well. We're going to learn a little more about Baylor and that game, which is uh, who Oklahoma plays the week after Iowa State in Norman. All right, wrap up this segment, and then we'll get Ryan in for basketball stuff with Sooners NFL. Quick uh, recap of those guys real fast. Trey Norwood was our focus this week. Kind of just a, it was almost utilized more as a shout out to him for being a legitimate big contributor on NFL yeah. defense. When not, I think everybody thought that was going to be the case. He was third on the team in tackles. They had that big upset win of the Bucks. So shout out Trey Norwood. Ramondre Stevenson is looking great. Uh, he's quickly kind of a rising star. I have him in fantasy and he's been rewarding me. So shout out Ramondre for that. Eagles stand I love him. I love him. I That's love what him. Belichick said so. It's crazy. <laughs> He's all around back. I love him. Absolutely awesome. Jalen Hurts and Eagles are still undefeated. Um, so he's got that rolling for him. The tough news of the week is Marquise Brown suffering a, I think, foot injury. Now, initially it was he's out for the year, but then Ian Rapport came back and said that they are optimistic he may be able to come back when the season's over. Either way, it's a long term. It's like six or seven weeks minimum. Maybe back by the season end, but that's a tough blow, obviously, for Marquise, who's having a really nice year with, uh, with Kyler in Arizona. Yeah, I saw that some numbers. He was projecting like 122 catches for 1,600 yards. He is tearing it up in Arizona, so you hate to see that. 100%. 100%. So we'll see if uh, he can get back on the field. Cardinals are looking rough. Um, Baker might might not might, might not be the only OU quarterback to have a coach get fired at some point because <laughs> Cliff Kingsbury, uh, I don't think he's it. <laughs> I don't think he's it. So we'll see uh, what happens there with Arizona. They do get DeAndre Hopkins back, though, and Colonels play tonight. And Kyler Murray, his stats with DeAndre Hopkins and without him are crazy. At those, those splits, I think they showed them last weekend on the Cardinals broadcast. They blew my mind. So maybe the season can still, can still be salvaged for Kyler uh, in the desert there once uh, DeAndre Hopkins comes back uh, this week. They play tonight, Thursday Night Football. So we'll see how that shakes out. All right. That's it for us. We'll bring Ryan back in for the third segment. We'll do some OU basketball uh, talk, both women and men, for Big 12 Media Days, as well as a little bit of Diamond Sports peek in, softball, uh, the Battle Series 
the point scoring is confusing. We'll talk about that. We'll, we'll talk about that with who, see if he, uh, he figured it out and uh, do all that good stuff. And the final segment next right here on the Elsinore's podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. Final segment of the All Sooners podcast, episode 152. We welcome in Brian Chapman at his residence in Moore. Sir, how are you doing? Doing good. Apologies. Uh, the <laughs> off week got all of our schedules wonky. So sorry, friends. Yeah, we've been uh, we've been pushing things around big time. We brought Ryan in here for the last segment. We're hit some other sports this week. We'll get to softball in a moment. Obviously, that's what we want Ryan the most. Obviously, we'll get to that in just a sec. We'll start with basketball though. Big Twelve Media Day is going on this week in Kansas City. We obviously are not there, but we've been viewing from afar. Had coverage on AllSooners.com. Kind of getting. Basketball season always sneaks up every time. You're in the heart of football, and I don't know how many people are aware that OU basketball, the men's team, plays a game next week. Next week. Um, it's an exhibition, but they play a real-life game next week, which is kind of insane. But Big Swim Media Days are off and running. We talked to, earlier uh, about Brett Yormark's comments about OU Texas and all that good stuff. Let's talk about the actual teams. Start with the women. They went first. Any takeaways from what Jenny Baranchek and that squad had to do and Preseason ranking of number 15 that came out the other day. You know, uh, expectations are a lot higher this this year for uh, for Jenny B in the squad than, than a year ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting that uh, Jenny Baranchik did her media press conference and stuff in Kansas City on Tuesday. And uh, on Thursday on the Hoover and May show on the Sports Animal in Tulsa, we interviewed Sherry Cole. She said she was extremely proud of Jenny Baranchik. Jenny Baranchik is the right player, right person for the job. Uh, she is glad that, you know, she calls on her and, and asks her to, to, for whatever assistance she can. And Sherry's always open to it, but this is Jenny Baranchik's team. A lot of these are still Sherry Cole's players. Some of them in their fifth, sixth year, but uh, it's Jenny Baranchik's team now and her style of basketball up tempo. They're going to score a lot. They're going to shoot a lot and they're going to, def- they're going to try the best they can to defend a lot. They got a lot of players back. They got, you know, obviously the Taylor Robertson, who led the nation in shooting last year, three-pointers per game. Maddie Williams is the inspirational leader on the team, forward slash guard, who can kind of do it all. She stepped out and worked on her perimeter game, she said this year. And, you know, Jenny Baranchik said she couldn't be prouder of the fact that the the offseason that they had, they had the trip to Paris, you know, to Europe, I should say, and including Paris, um, was huge. Huge for this team's chemistry, even though there are so many players who are back. Uh, from last year. So uh, Ana Yanusa is back. She's uh, healthy again. I think this is going to be her third go at it, maybe fourth. But uh, hopefully she gets to stay healthy the whole time because with her on the team, with her on the floor, this team looks a little more dynamic, looks a little more uh, explosive, and can put the ball in the hoop. And that would really – imagine what a Jenny Baranchik team who likes to shoot a ton can get to to add to the, to the experience – 
situation with somebody who scores 17 points a game. So, yeah, they're looking forward to having all uh, having a full roster back this year. Hopefully everybody stays healthy because, like you said, Josh, 15th in the country, pick third in the yeah. Big 12. And we know the Big 12 is a seriously legit women's basketball conference. Yeah, I thought the other interesting thing, too, was um, Ginny Bronchak just basically was like, yeah, the, the core is back, which means – we're not a big team as far as height, you know what I mean? And, and rebounding and all that stuff was, uh, it, it wasn't a massive barrier for them to be really good. Obviously, because they're in the Big 12 race through, you know, a, a good portion of the Big 12 season. But when you have the trip to Manhattan and Nyokali does things like that, when you have the performance against Baylor in the Big 12 tournament where uh, it just felt like Oklahoma had no answers, then the question would become, are you going to go out? Are you going to go raiding the portal for a, a big stuff like that? I think the fact of the matter is that one, Jenny Brownchek's very comfortable with this kind of run and gun offense that, that she has to get up and down the floor. But also a lot of those players, the ones that are really, really talented are not going to be in the transfer portal as far as those bigs, because they're probably mm-hmm. at the best programs in the country and, and they're in a spot to succeed like that. So I think it's a, an interesting, just, embracing of yep we're undersized and that's okay and we're not going to make excuses about it we're going to get out in front of it right now so you've got that and then the big storyline this season will be like you guys have mentioned the preseason expectations toward the end of the year Jenny Baranchek last year said basically they did all of the okay we think we're going to be okay getting acclimated to a new system to oh my gosh we're good to oh my gosh you've swept Baylor and you're one of the favorites <laughs> in the big 12 like that's a lot of new expectations to manage all in one season now you come in and the expectation is to compete for the big 12 title they don't have to do the learn how to win games learn how to win big games learn how to respond all, all those kind of road marks yeah that's where i'm at as far as just very interested in how they respond to expectations like i joked about a second ago they're not, you know, they're not sneaking up on anybody this this time around. I mean, top fifteen ranking to start the season. Interest is at a height for OU women's basketball that hasn't been in a while, and there's a lot of hope. I mean, I wrote the news on all Sooners when they were fifteen in the preseason poll. And I was like, let me let me get the roster out so I can make sure I'm correct. And and I was like, man, this. Is, they, I mean, obviously, Maddie Williams is the big one, but then Taylor Robertson, Ana Yunus is healthy, like who was saying. You bring back Skylar Van, who was sixth player of the year. Kelby Washington and Nevaeh Tott were both all B12 freshmen. These are all players that are back. I mean, they, they're bringing back a talent, uh, an amount of talent that is insane. It was, uh, I think, 90% of their scoring, rebounding, and assists. 90%. And Ana Yunus is not even really a part of that because she didn't play last year hardly, uh, I think, at all. And if she did any, it was very seldom. So, yeah, there's a lot of expectations. They're going to be fun to watch. Um, and they, they play a fun brand of basketball. So excited to see what they look like uh, when the season gets going. Yeah. They got bigger in the post, guys. Uh, Liz Scott, she she's a senior. She's six foot two, and and she's back this year. Um, Emma Svoboda is a sophomore. You know, she was a freshman last year. She's six foot three. So what Jenny Baranchik did? She went out and hit the high school recruiting. Six foot four, Kirsten Johnson is a freshman, and six foot three, Beatrice Culleton is a freshman. Listen, they're not going to have. Uh, Aoka Lee from Kansas State to kick them around anymore this year, yeah. so to speak, to uh, to borrow from an old colloquialism. She's out for the year with a knee injury, we were told, at Big 12 Media Day. I didn't realize that, so that's a big blow for them. But, yeah, Baylor, uh, Texas, other other schools that have a lot of post players, they're going to find maybe the things are a little bit more difficult to uh, to get some low post points on Oklahoma this year because Jenny Baranchik went out and got some, some post help. They need to get bigger. She acknowledges that, but – 
at least they've got some help in there now. Absolutely. It should be a fun team. Looking forward to seeing what they do when the season gets rolling here very, very soon. Let's talk about the men. Uh, so Porter Moser, still bearded, hit Kansas City. Porter Moses, as I've seen him be called, which is an all-time nickname. That's so good. He's rocking the beard, and they have a team. Not, I didn't seem like much new ground was covered than the OU Media Day uh, a few weeks ago. But we also didn't really get a chance to talk about that. So we can cover that a little bit better uh, here today. Obviously, the bye week opens that stuff up for us. It's a team that he made the joke at, at his media day. They have no Rajon Rondos on the team. He means that in a good way in terms of they don't have anybody who can't shoot. Everybody can get a shot. They feel like they're much more dynamic offensively. They have guards who are good. Bam is still on Sherfield the transfers. He really likes what he's seen from Jalen Hill, Tanner Girls. Those guys have grown and developed. They seem on paper, at least in my opinion, to have a chance to be a better team, a tournament team in uh, in twenty in, in the second year for for, for Moser. Interesting quote from Porter on uh, Grant Sherfield, uh, the transfer. He's Big Twelve newcomer of the year, I think, preseason newcomer of the mm-hmm. year. Yep. Um, he's he's our shot clock guy. What does that mean? When the shot clock's winding down, we give it to him, or he's going to yeah. dribble it until the shot clock is winding down. <laughs> two, well, if you remember, two ways you can consider that. You remember last year, and Ryan certainly remembers, how many times did Porter Moser talk about time and score and, it, and the team being terrible at managing the time and the score? I think Grant Sherfield's going to help with that. Well, and also, too, I've talked a lot about the when the athletic rolls out their midseason, anonymous Big 12 coaches talk about other Big 12 te- stuff like that. The, the big thing that Oklahoma was hit for was they were not athletic at all. They were the least athletic team in the conference, and I think you saw that. Sherfield fixes a lot of that and what he brings in. But also Porter Moser was talking about, he's a guy that you run your offensive sets and it's awesome until you're 20 seconds in and the opposing defense has just basically shuttered everything you want. At some point when that happens and there's eight seconds left, someone's got to be able to say, give me the basketball. I can put a move on somebody and in an individual moment, get a shot off and score. And that's what he was kind of talking about with Sherfield. He was talking about him being one of the most efficient guys off ball screens, his mid-range being really, really good, something that is shunned in the NBA but is very important in college basketball. Um, so it's just a different dimension as far as an individual score because when you looked at it, Emoja Gibson last year was great, um, you know, catch and shoot. But if someone got on his shoulder, he, he was just undersized. Elijah Harkless dribbled too much at times, and that got him into trouble. They just didn't have a go-to guy for – Everything's broken down, and Sherfield is kind of who Porter Moses is going to trust with that role this year. How much is uh, how much is uh, Joe Bamisil going to do uh, fill that role as well? George Washington, sixteen and a half points a game last year. Is he a guy that can come in and, and be that guy as well? If if Sherfield's off the floor, or if Sherfield's having a cold night, is, can he come in and fill that up as well? Yeah, absolutely. And he's one of the few guys like there was an, this Oklahoma team last year. Um, it was missing an Alondis Williams element, right? Like Alondis, you could give him the ball. And if he found any kind of space in the lane, like he was going above the rim and it was going to be loud and it was going to be aggressive. That's kind of what Bamisil brings is that level of athleticism that, Hey, if the defense is too shaded toward Sherfield or there's a long rebound that gets everyone screwed around and it finds Bamisil, he could be at the rim in a hurry, and and that's just a, an element this Oklahoma offense lacked last year. No one was worried about anyone getting downhill from from that Oklahoma offense. Yeah, Bamisil had twelve twenty point games last year at GW, and as I guess tied for first in the in the Atlantic Ten. So uh, having those scores, having that scoring option, it's going to be huge. 
100%. Yeah, and I'm really excited for Joe Bama. So whenever they got him, I immediately, you know, let me see some highlights of this guy. And like Ryan said, just dunking all over the place. He he has a lot of uh, exciting features to his game. Shurfield can shoot from anywhere. So both those guys, feel they're going to be a really big part of the team to go with. Obviously, our guys, the Groves bros, who both have gotten bigger and stronger. Jalen Hill, who Brodermoser has loved since he got there. So there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic. All those freshmen, a lot of reasons to be optimistic. Um about the about this team taking a step forward, about, I think. How about the expectations on the men's basketball team? Picked seventh in the Big Twelve. Um, mm-hmm. Porter Moser's first season, first season last year, I believe they were picked seventh in the Big Twelve. Um, sure. And I believe, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Long Kruger's last year, they were picked seventh in the Big Twelve. I mean, if you do better than seventh, if you get sixth, is that a great accomplishment? You know, you're really sticking it in anybody's face. So. I'd like to see this team, you know, see talent-wise what they can put together, what kind of run they can have, and, and how high they can get. But Josh talked about this last season, the Big 12 tournament, right? Is Porter Moser yeah. has that moniker of a, a tournament specialist, right, with what he did at Loyola a couple of times. That doesn't really matter if you're playing in the NIT when no one cares about it. You know what I mean? Like, get to the dance yeah. and get out of a first-round matchup and start to build that ethos back. That's how Porter Moser can really kick things up to another gear of saying, look what I did at Loyola. Now I'm going to do that at Oklahoma. And, oh, by the way, you've got the Jordan brand, all the resources, all that stuff. 100%. 100%. And like I said, they play a real-life game next week, next Tuesday. Um, It's exhibition, but they do play at Loyola Noble Center next Tuesday. And then the season gets started, I think, November 7th, which, again, it just sneaks up on you every time. So they're going to be playing some ball games here. Very, very soon. Excited what they look like. All those freshmen. A lot to be very interested in with, uh, obviously, both basketball teams. Ian Norman will cover them all season long on allsooners.com. Let's talk about the, the uh, Diamond Sports a little bit. Softball has been doing the battle series and things like that. This is where we're going to lean on Ryan. First off, folks, if you could see our group text last night with who watching and trying to keep up with the scoring, it was hilarious because the system – no, I granted, I didn't see it. Uh, like we mentioned earlier, I'm in Houston, but it sounded convoluted and confusing to me. But team looks like they're a wagon, nothing new there. It was uh, not sports writer friendly <laughs> <laughs> to, to create this thing and then dump it on us like this and say, Get, we're doing this now. Now we're doing that. Now we're going to call them Hispanic names. And like, wait a minute, what's going on here? So, no, I'm yeah. trying, trying to keep up, trying to keep up with that younger generation, right? Is that what it is? But uh, three teams last night, um, Team Ricketts. Team Allo and Team Chamberlain. And guess what? Eight home runs from those guys, from the, those three teams. You put, start putting those labels on those players and they start <laughs> feeling the distance of the field, man. Eight home runs. Are you serious? This is against Oklahoma pitching, you guys. Uh, right. Alex Rocco, right. the Michigan transfer, gave up, I think, four of those eight home runs. So they, you know, she gave up three in the second inning or something like that, um, took her out. Brought her back in. She gave up another one. So this uh, this Oklahoma batting mm-hmm. order, starters, and, and a couple of starters didn't even play, but starters and then your reserves and then your backups must just be a nightmare for these OU pitchers every every day in practice. Yeah, that's always the most – if you go back and you watch the Zooms, which you're at Psycho and I love you for it, but if you go back and track the Zooms from the last two years, my favorite thing to ask early on of the new pitchers is – what does your confidence look like when you go up against this lineup every day in practice? Because like on one hand, you know, this is the best lineup in softball. On the other hand, you're like, but I keep giving up homers and this is absurd. But uh, basically 
Athletes Unlimited is a uh, one of the two professional softball leagues. They go at it a little bit differently. It's more of like a fantasy football type scoring where they're more yeah. like the game. They keep score on the field, but it's like you get 10 points if you hit a home run. You get five points for a double, stuff like that. So Oklahoma's adopted that as their inter-squad scrimmage scoring. Um, the, the long and short of that is through two games when everyone was playing. Sidney Sanders, the, the big-time transfer, first baseman, Pac-12 freshman of the year, finalist for NCAA freshman of the year and probably would have won it had Jordy ball not existed. Um, she came in, it's going to take over first base and through two games, she was leading the whole standings. Her and Jordy ball were one and two. So that shows the quality that she's able to come in and immediately slot in, in the first game of the battle series, Jada Coleman had an absolutely massive day. So it shows she continues that. And then I think the really interesting things are, one, Haley Lee, who if you watch the couple of games against Texas A&M, you'll recognize she's going to come in, probably fill the the DP slot that was left by Aloe. She continues to just absolutely mash. She is just hitting home run after home run here against yeah. the, the, the step up in pitching. And then one of the position battles to watch throughout the fall has been Alyssa Brito played infield, third base and shortstop at Oregon last year, obviously, when you've got uh, Johns over there and then Grace Lyons, like she's not going to play short. Johns is going to keep her out at third. So she moved into left field. Torres, the other Arizona State transfer coming in, she played third. So those two, who's going to end up in third? Brito still could be in left field because I know that Oklahoma loves the defensive uh, just acumen that Hannah Core brings in left field. But Hannah Core, not as big of a hitter. So what's the solution to that? Well, Jordy Ball hits a home run off of Nicole May in the first battle series. We talked about Jordy Ball, a pitcher that's going to hit eventually. Last year, she wanted to focus on just the pitching. The hitting has been brought in. So I wonder if you see this spring on days where Jordy Ball is playing, she hits, which frees you up to play Hannah Core, get that defense in left field, and then you go with the hot bat between Torres or Burrito at third. It'll be fascinating, but there's just uh, there's so many position battles across the board. Uh, in the outfield and, and at third, that's uh, something to track all the way into the season. Cause I would, de- I'd be stunned if Patty Gasso just settles on this is the nine and that's going to play every single game. Yeah. Jordy mashed a couple of balls last night, a couple of hard line drives. Uh, one was caught. One was a single. It was hit so sharply. So she's, you know, she, listen, don't think for a minute that she can't hit. She is an amazing hitter. Uh, last night, Sydney Sanders hit two more home runs. T.R. Jennings hit two home runs. Uh, that's half your eight right there, and it was it was ridiculous. Nine of their first eight of their first nine runs scored were were home runs. So, uh, and then the um, I think it was team okay. uh, Chamberlain put together kind of four, a four run fifth inning that you know they ended it after five. But uh, so one team won by scoring five runs, another team scored four runs, and then the th- third team scored four runs. It was a mixed up, messed up deal but it was cool to see I, I get what you're doing you're putting five players per team um on five players on each team and i think ball did a little swing where she played she hit for both teams two of the three teams so at one point they had the bases loaded and a girl made it out and the next girl got up and made it out and then the girl who just made it out came back and batted again because they only have five players right. on the team so that was that was interesting <laughs> yeah i don't uh yeah, that's above my pay grade to follow it. I know they're good. That's my analysis. Um, they're good. They're good. They're they were really good last year. They're really good the year before. They'll be really good again. Um, yeah, Ryan's gonna cover them and have fun. Probably watching another natty. Uh, I'm guessing uh, throughout 
next year. I love to offer something about fall ball baseball. I haven't got to see the team yet really hardly at all. I've heard some good returns on a couple of guys real quick. Cale Davis, the Oklahoma State transfer. I think he's going to be really big time. We talked about him at the time. I think he's going to be really, really good. And then some of these some of these new guys coming in that they brought to kind of fill the role, I think may surprise some people um, and the outfield. I mean, they have a lot of guys back, obviously, you know, Kendall Pettis and Spire, all those young guys, Spikerman and Wallace Clark. They're going to be really fun. I'm hoping to see them in a fall ball scrimmage sometime early in November if the schedule works out for it. So uh, we'll uh, hopefully get that and get some content up for baseball fans on allsooners.com. All right. I think that's it for us. Ryan, will let you go. We'll get out of here. Appreciate you guys hanging with us on the bye week. A little bit of a shorter program. We'll, we'll get back on normal track next Wednesday. Back with you previewing Oklahoma and Iowa State. Getting ready for the trip to Ames and Jack Trice. Looking forward to that next weekend. We'll get it and uh, we'll preview that ball game for you next Wednesday. Right back here. You can catch that show on Spotify, Google, iHeart, wherever you get your podcast. If you have an Amazon able device, just say Alexa. Play the All Sooners podcast. We'll post on our website, allsooners.com. Click on the playlist on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. And of course, you can watch all the shows on Who's YouTube page, John Hoover Media. That's it for now. For Ryan Chapman and John Hoover. I'm Josh Calloway. We'll catch you guys next time.